Okay, so I'm going to start off with some personal insights and reflection on aging. Because I find myself uh, aging at a quicker pace now as I approach 70. So in a couple of years, you know, the big 7-0. I guess that means that's the new 50, but it doesn't <laughs> feel like it. So I found myself going downhill in a very fashionable way. About 10 years ago, I made the mistake of buying some Levi 560s. Now, for those who don't know what the Levi 560 is, it's the really big one, full cut, super full cut. And I was going through a critical stage in my life where I wanted to be comfortable. And I thought, this was a good option. I'll just buy the 560 and I'll have plenty of extra room and it'll just feel really good. And, you know, it did for a while, but the 560s tend to stretch when you wear them. And so I found myself walking on the cuff and fraying them. So I had these huge pants with frayed cuffs, and I would sort of, you know, shuffle around in them. And then my T-shirts started to feel a little tight and uncomfortable. So I went from double X to triple X. And they were really roomy. They were all cotton, and they didn't keep their shape. And I had this giant T-shirt on and these giant pants on. And I would walk around, and I'd feel very good about myself, because I remembered back in the 1960s, you know, clothes, sort of old clothes and baggy clothes and ripped clothes, made a fashion statement. You know, you, were, you weren't a conformist anymore. You found your own path, and you were living it, and that's why you dressed the way you did. But I forgot that I was getting old. And old people who wear baggy pants and big t-shirts and are white often are looked at as being homeless. I hadn't thought about that before. But you know, between the 101 and the 10 on Vermont, we have a whole community of white homeless guys wearing baggy clothes. And I was one of them. I hadn't intended to be one. I never thought of myself as being one. But there I was. And I can remember being in Santa Monica going into a Mexican restaurant. And they wouldn't wait on me because they thought I was homeless. Because I had my baggy shirt on and my baggy pants and I was really comfortable. But I hadn't shaved in three days. And there I was. So I had to really start looking at myself in a different way. I'm thinking, what happened? What happened to the world that I live in? You know, is getting old going to be this bad all the time? So then I said to myself, why don't I go to Ross for less? I'll become fashionable. <laughs> and everything's on sale. I won't have to spend a lot of money. So I got a couple short-sleeved sort of semi-dress shirts with buttons down the front. And I went from my 560s to my 569s by Levi, which is a stretch jean which looks a little more tapered, but every time you move, it stretches with you, and it feels so comfortable, and it's got the appropriate look for 2018. So I tried it out when I went to the 50-year high school reunion. I wore my little you know, shirt. I had the button collar and stuff, and people just remarked on how well-dressed I was. <laughs> and, you know, and I felt so much better about myself because of that. So I felt I was making progress. I, if I couldn't change the aging process, I could change the fashion process. Now, something else came up about two years ago. 
I became obsessed. I became obsessed with watches and clocks. And I could hardly wait to go through the Amazon watch list, all the different watches, big ones and small ones and ones that glowed in the dark and one had three hands and one had two hands. And wow, it was so much fun. And I found some really nice ones, relatively inexpensive, $50, $70. I got a new watch, put it on. I felt so much better. I mean, this is so cool. But then I found another watch. I'd buy that too. So after a while, I had three, four, five watches. And I would change them every day. And I'd go out and I'd always look at my wrist to see what time it was. And I just felt so good about those watches looking back at me. And then I discovered wall clocks. And I'm going, whoa, wall clocks, you know. (laughs) I live in a room. How big does the wall clock need to be? I figure 10 to 12 inches, you know, just so it's always there right in my face. And the one I decided to buy had had a temperature gauge and a humidity gauge. So not only was it a clock, it was my weather station. And it was just right in front of me. And I'd be Facebook posting, and I'd look at that clock, and I'd go, wow, this is so cool. Then I'd look at my wristwatch, and I'd go, do you know, four seconds off, I better adjust this, you know, something's wrong. And I couldn't figure out why I was becoming so obsessed with watches and clocks. And then it dawned on me, I'm going to die. i got to keep track of the time. And I prefer analog watches to digital watches because it gives me 12 more hours. You know, the digital watch is just momentary time. There's no past or future in the digital watch. But the analog watch, if you use your imagination, you can get 24 hours out of it. It is so cool. So I realized this is sort of like a countdown I'm going through at a subconscious level that turns into a conscious thing, and now it's a clock thing and a watch thing. And I found the root of my obsession, and I'm no longer obsessed in the way I was before because I realized time really doesn't exist anyway. Time simply is the measurement of impermanence. And some things are impermanent at a certain rate. You know, we have hours and minutes and seconds, and then we have days and we have months, and we can sort of track those because they're pretty consistent in the way they change, in their impermanence. So I'm just going right along, and I'm thinking, okay, how much longer to the next birthday? And okay, I've got some time, and then I got a talk I got to give next week, and I got some time. And I... So all these sort of things I think are happening because I'm getting old. This third thing is definitely happening because I'm getting old, because I don't exercise enough. And when you get old, you have to exercise more, because you keep losing stuff. You lose muscle mass, you know, you just become weaker and the big clothes fit really big, so you get smaller clothes, and then you figure, I've got to be sure. So I find that my walking has changed over the past couple of years because of the way my muscles work and because of I should stretch more and I don't, and I'm a little rigid as I walk, and so my gait is different. And I'm having trouble sometimes just keeping a straight line. But I'm thinking, do people, when they walk, walk in a straight line? And I've been observant now, and they don't. They're just all over the place. You know? <laughs> They're just happy to get there. So, but I want to walk more in a straight line. So if the sidewalk has like little lines, I sort of do that. And then I had to adjust my shoulders, because my shoulders were too low, and it didn't feel right. And I brought them up a little bit, and I moved my arms a little more. And then I started to have a new gait, a new way to walk. It's the elderly walk. Not too elderly, but the elderly walk. It's beginning, and I can make it from point A to point B, and it's okay. 
And I've got my exercise bicycle, so I'm going to start working out with that and getting my thighs really big so I can walk really good. So if you see me on the street walking, it's not, I'm not walking, I'm practicing. So <laughs> it's working out fine. Now, the ultimate happened Tuesday. I'm at Vons. Vons is in Palms, and I was in Vons, and I was getting some cat food and some Hostess cupcakes. <laughs> and I'm just there, and I'm just, it's a pleasant day outside. It's about 2 in the afternoon. Nothing's really going on, you know, except me buying cat food and Hostess cupcakes. And then I... Give them cash, because I always use cash. I don't have a charge card, and I have an ATM, but I sort of prefer cash, because it's anonymous. You don't have to pretend to be anybody. You just give them cash. So the clerk takes the cash. There's this woman, and she's, she seemed to be having a, a rough day that day. And she looked at my $20 bill. Sir, I don't think you can be able to use this $20 bill. This is fake. I said, really? Yes, I can tell. And she just holds it up. To the sky. Well, now all the people in all the other lines are looking over because she's holding up this $20 bill. And then she hands it to the clerk next. Do you think this is fake? And this clerk holds it up. And there I am trying to be anonymous, having walked in. <laughs> having walked in there just to get cat food and cupcakes. And I'm just like, you know, it's the lineup. Am I guilty or not? I said, don't you guys have one of those pens? You can just pen it and see if, it, if it's fake. Well, I can tell just by looking at it in the light. It doesn't have the lines it's supposed to have. So she goes over to the assistant manager. He holds it up to the light. Everybody has stopped. They're just watching this $20 bill make its rounds, you know. Finally, they let me spend the $20. They say, okay, what this thing, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, thank you. And now she's looking at me like I'm a criminal. Thank you for coming in today, sir. As she hands me the receipt, thank you for making my life interesting. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just amazing, you know? Yeah. So as I, as I age, I'm finding more and more reasons not to like it. And then I decided today to say, okay, well, who am I? You know, because that's the big Buddhist question, isn't it? Who am I? So I'm the five aggregates, and I'm going to talk about the five aggregates today. The five aggregates is trying to walk a little better. Five aggregates are buying more fashionable clothes. The five aggregates are trying to pay with cash when it's getting almost impossible. And the Buddha said that's what creates the I, me, and mine, is the five aggregates. So it's never one. See, Buddhism is not simple in the sense that it's always just one thing, the biggest thing, the best thing. It's always many that are interconnected and interdependent. So you can never claim to just be one thing, and I have to claim my five aggregates now. The five aggregates are form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. One more time. Form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. Those things come together to create the I, me, and mine. So we have form. Now we have various forms connected to this big bag of bones we call our body. We have the form of the eye, we have the form of the ear, we have the form of the nose, we have the form of the mouth, we have the form of the body. 
and we have the form of the brain, okay? And each one of those forms, we have six forms, each one of those things have their own unique consciousness, which just so anti-psychology, psychiatry, 2018. Everything has its own little consciousness. So my eye has a consciousness. And when my eye form comes into the form of like a water bottle and I'm thirsty, it registers in, in, in color and shape. Okay? So not specific, just general conscious awareness. And the same with the ear. When you heard me playing my little banjo lele, your ear form, your eardrum was vibrating and you heard sound because there was sound and silence, sound and silence. But it wasn't specific, and if I hadn't told you it was a banjolele, you wouldn't really know what was making that sound other than this sort of strained instrument that I was holding in my hand. So it sort of works like that. So we have the, the smell consciousness and the taste consciousness and the sensation consciousness, and the brain consciousness has thinking, thinking and reflecting. Okay, so the first aggregate is form. We all have that. Then we have form sensation. Now, for a Buddhist, sensation is pretty easy. There's three kinds. I love this short list. Three kinds. Good sensation, bad sensation, neutral sensation. Sensation has a very important role to play in our suffering because sensation decides whether we want to attach and grasp it or push it away and have aversion towards it. So we'd have the good sensation, grasping, attachment, bad sensation, we would have aversion and repulsion, and then the neutral sensation. All those in between don't really catch our attention at all. So if we, as we go through our day, we really probably don't observe most of the stuff through our sensations, just the good and the bad sensations. Then perception. This is a really important one. This one helps us create our world. If it wasn't for perception, we wouldn't know a damn thing. So how does perception start? Well, it's when we have eye contact, for instance, and we have sight, and say we have a form, and then mom says that form is called a chair. And we go, well, we don't go anything because we can't talk, but we just listen to mom, and mom's pointing at these forms and saying certain sounds, okay? And these sounds then are supposed to stimulate a certain picture in our mind. And eventually, after hearing the word chair enough times, when our eye falls on the form of a chair, in our head, we hallucinate. And we go, wow, chair. You know? And each one of us has our own specific chair. You know, some might have thrones, some might have all wood, some are plastic, some are 50s, you know. All sorts of different chairs, but we all have our own little chair in our head until we see another chair which would override that internal chair. So perception is the naming quality that we take into the world with us. In order for us to use anything, we have to be able to name it. We have to know what it is. And I found just the most fascinating concept watching PBS one time when the Spaniards came in their ships to South America, and, and the Indians, the indigenous people, the first people were there, and they were looking at the sea, and they didn't see anything. And there were these big ships with like three, four, five masts and sails, and it was windy, and the flag was blowing. 
and the indigenous people didn't see anything. I'm thinking, how could they not see a ship that big just offshore because they didn't know what it was? They had no name for it. They had no experience. They had no sound. They were looking at something that didn't exist to them. But the Spaniards knew what it was, and they knew that existed, and they were on it, and they were going to take over and get all the gold and silver. You know, so... The indigenous people, the first people, just let them land. Wondered where they came from. You know? Outer space? Where are their ships? They don't know. So when I look at something brand new for the first time, I am just simply fascinated that I don't know what to call it or what it does or what it should do or why I should want it. Because eventually it ends up on Amazon.com. <laughs> So I'm looking at this stuff and going, perception, yeah, this is really cool. I can look through the whole room and see a bunch of stuff. And really, it's like, it's like a tapestry. And what I'm doing is I'm just pulling the stuff out, you know, for that one moment. And I have a, it's very specific and it's separate. The, the, the picture is separate from the wall, if I know what the picture is. And then, then it goes back into the wall. So my whole life, I'm just pulling stuff out, analyzing it, critiquing it, and then letting it go back in. Cool. Now we've got volition. Volition is sort of a tough one. Volition has to do with intention. It has to do with the ability to use it. It has to know why it's good to use or not good to use. It has a karmic aspect to it. Karma being our intention leads our speech and action into the world. And if we have good intention, we'll have good speech and action. And so if I look at the water bottle and I say to myself, I'm thirsty, I'm going to drink from the water bottle, that's a good intention because it will quench my thirst. But if I look at the water bottle and say I'm going to throw it at my friend, that's a bad intention and I'll have karmic consequences because of that. So I'm going through all this stuff. I, first I see it because my eye comes into contact with something. And then I figure out what it is and then how am I going to use it? And can I use it skillfully to reduce my suffering and the suffering of others? Or should I just sort of leave it alone and not use it at all? Would that be the best thing to do? So all these things come together, form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness, and create the person that seems to exist in this moment from an internal perspective, maybe not an external perspective. Because on the external, they're looking at my baggy shirts, my baggy pants, and labeling me as homeless. And I just want to run up and say, I have a home. It's a meditation center. I have a wonderful room. And it has a wall clock. <laughs> but would they believe me? Would it matter? You know? So I just go, so, okay, so now I don't have to be, I don't have to be, a victim. I don't have to be the victim. I can just simply be the five aggregates, which is a process that's ever-changing, always becoming something else time and time again. So where do I stand? I don't stand any place, you know? And the older I get, the more literal that will be. It will be simply that I exist in this moment because of five aspects called the five aggregates, and it's an illusion, but a necessary one so we can relate to it, have a relationship with the other five aggregates, and then continue to have a wonderful society of seven billion people. 
separated on every corner by what they think, say, and do. And so, what does it mean to be me? Well, you know, the Buddha also said it's name and form. Name being our consciousness and form being our form. He also said physically we're the 32 parts of the body. This is before medical science. So he always gave us something to work with. But it was never just you are this. It's you are many things that have come together in this present moment and it is remarkable and you are special and you are unique because in this moment you'll never be anything different and other outside this moment you'll never be this. You're going to always be something different in the very next moment. So we always are changing our roles. We're always learning new things to be more skillful. We're always in different kinds of relationship, the checker in the grocery store, the policeman on the corner, the guy driving next to you. All these are relationships that are occurring because all these five aggregates are always shifting and changing, and circumstances are never the same for a moment. One moment, a circumstance exist and then in the next moment another circumstance exists so we're always in this flow go with the flow i love that bumper sticker go with the flow i never could figure out what the flow was i kept looking for it couldn't find it and then i started to meditate and then i realized oh the flow man it's in your head there's no flow out there especially on vermont avenue it doesn't flow at all but in our head there is a flow and when we meditate we can come and enjoy that flow you know, and once you're in the flow, it's just effortless. You don't got to do anything. You're just sitting there and just flowing, you know. People say, what you doing? I'm flowing, man. I'm flowing. It feels good, you know. No problems, no past, no future. Just enjoying the process of being who I am in this moment. And then it happens again. So when I look at myself in my aging process and I look at myself in my, my fashion consequences and I look at myself in, in who I am according to Buddhism, I can't get attached to any kind of criticism about me because I only exist for a moment. And people can't see that. They think I exist longer than a moment and have reasons to question me and observe me. But you know what? Inside, there's just common flow. And I find also the older I get, the less connected I am to external. The internal is taking precedent over the external, which may be a good thing, because when I look at the external now, it's not a happy place to be. And when I look at the internal, I see the possibility of happiness and peace in every moment I exist. So I'm going to the internal. And I have to thank meditation for giving me the opportunity to do that. 